back in the 80s, I, I heard a story that I never forgot. Uh, it is true. It's been verified through the Gideons. It tells of a story of a girl in China by the name of Kim Lee. And she was a, a young girl, just probably between 12 and 14, an orphan. And she tells of this, the day that uh, a white man came to the orphanage and gave out little green books. You know what those were? Little Gideon Bibles, right? So she took that home with her, and she commenced to reading on it. She read nonstop for two days, and she was confronted with a story and a message she'd never heard before, so struck by it that her little heart broke, and she gave her life to Jesus and said, I commit, I'm yours. And she opened up the front, and she signed her name and the date in the front of that little book. Well, as the weeks went by, she started to, just every night before she'd go to bed, she'd read a little bit out of that book, and then when she went to sleep, she'd always lay it on her, next to her pillow on the bed. One night, a number of weeks later, she became aware that her door was opening up uh, to her room, and it shouldn't be. And in it was standing a, a figure. It turned out to be a boy by the name of Trang, who was a thief. And he was there to try to steal uh, some things from that room, not knowing she was asleep in there. Well, she panicked and started feeling around, and the first thing she felt was the Bible, and instinctively, she screamed and threw it at the shadow as hard as she could. Well, it, the Bible hit Trang right in the chest. He instinctively caught it. He joined her with the screaming and commenced to start running. <laughs> and he didn't quit running until he got home. When he got home that night, he was emptying his pockets, and out he pulled a little green book. Curious, had never seen anything like it, never heard of anything like it. Over the next two weeks, he read it, and guess what happened? It broke his heart. He said, God, I believe that you are real. Come live in my heart. Well, let's leave him, out the, his story now, and go back to Kim Lee's. It's, it's quite a number of years later, and she's actually gotten to go to uh, a little Bible college there in China, and she did really well in her studies, really growing in her faith, and she met a boy. And they ended up getting married. And as they moved into their little place, they each had one box of belongings. And they would pull something out and tell stories about it. And her, uh, her new husband pulled out of a box a little green book. And he said, I haven't seen this for years. And she said, you know, I lost a book just like that some years ago. She took it, opened it up, and her name was written in the front cover. Now, you think that that's just an episode of The Twilight Zone. But I'm telling you, that's one of so many stories of how that book, that supernatural book, has changed the lives of people who have read it. Have you ever lost something in plain sight? Just think car keys here for a second. You know what I'm talking about? They're right there. You spend all that time searching, and then you find out they're right there. Well, I've come to have an opinion. I believe that the American church has lost the Bible, right in plain view. I don't think they know it's there anymore. Surveys show us that 92% of American families own at least one Bible. And among those families that own Bibles, the average American family owns 3.6 in their house. So if we have all these Bibles, how come we're not impacted by them? So I was thinking about this and... Um, I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and they slid the USA Today under our door. And on the 13th of September, there was an article, and it says, more Americans customize religion to fit their own personal needs. And here's, here's a story. So it was a big 
half-page story, and it says just this one paragraph. The folks who made up God as they go are now side-by-side side with self-proclaimed believers who claim the Christian label but shed their ties to traditional beliefs and practices. Religion statistics expert George Barna says, with a wry hint of exaggeration, America is headed for 310 million people with 310 million religions. We are a designer society. We want everything customized for our own personal needs, our clothing, our food, our education, and he says, now our religion. Goes on to say, people say, I believe in God. I believe the Bible is a good book. And then I believe whatever I want. They did the same survey back in 91, and they found that at that point, people said about 45% of people ever read the Bible outside of church. That number has now dropped to 40. They also said, how many of you believe that the Bible is actually true in everything that it says? That number was 46%. It's now 36%. So if we're a nation filled with Bibles, who's reading them? Who's reading all those Bibles? And as the Bible, has it lost its, its place as, as a righteous standard of truth in our country? Well, I want to tell you a story this morning. It's a story about a little boy who grew up not even knowing there was a Bible, never knew one that ever existed. This boy's uh, story starts with this line. And Josiah became king when he was eight years old, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. This little boy, Josiah, was, was born about 621 B.C., and he came from an evil family. Evil family. Grandpa, Grandpa Manasseh, was king of Israel. This guy was committed to every kind of evil. He filled the country with idols and Satanism and sacrilege. He destroyed, listen to this, it was his per own personal project that he oversaw. He destroyed every known copy of scripture in the entire known world. How would you like that on your job, on your uh, resume? He destroyed every piece of scripture that could be found. Then Josiah's dad, Ammon, he is such an evil rascal, he didn't even last two years before his own servants killed him. So we pick up the story with Josiah, eight years old, and at that point, the temple was largely unused for Jewish worship. In fact, the temple was filled with idols, temple prostitutes, and it was used for storage. Who'd have thought 250 years earlier, David designed that. Solomon built it, and the Shekinah glory of God lived in it. Now it's used for horage and storage. And that's about it. The temple of God. Well, I'm going to tell you an amazing story this morning about a discovery of a lost book that was found in 2 Kings 22 and 23. You can turn there. We'll also have it up here. And as I tell you the story, I just want you to relax. Let your imagination wander in this story. Fill in the blanks. Listen, I've, I've only abridged it a little bit to help make it easier for us to get through some of the names. All right, 2 Kings 22. <clears throat> Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside from doing what was right. In the 18th year of his reign, so how old was he? 
26, good. Some of you are reaching for your phones to work your calculator. <laughs> remember your parents said math, would, would, you'd use it in the real world, remember? King Josiah sent Shephan, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord, and he told him, go up to Hilkiah, the chief high priest, and give him account of the money that the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple. Entrust this money to men assigned to supervise the temple's restoration. Then they can use it to pay workers and repair the, the temple of the Lord. So they hired carpenters and builders and masons, also have them buy the timber and cut the stones needed to repair the temple. There will be no need to have the construction supervisor keep track of uh, or count of the money they receive, for they are honest people. Now, Josiah, you can see here, had some sort of an eight sense that he wanted to make a difference, that he wanted to do something for God, something to honor God. And somewhere it was in this process of remodeling that we pick up in the story. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law of, in the Lord's temple. This was a copy of the scriptures, the one that Grandpa Manasseh had destroyed. They found a copy of the Bible. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Now, we don't know from this whether it was a copy that was hidden and they found its hiding place or if it was just like in your garage, okay? Under stuff so far that once they finally cleaned it, there it was. But nonetheless, they found it. Shaphan returned to the king and reported, your officials have given the money collected to the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Shaphan also said to the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shephan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in, in despair. What could have caused that kind of reaction? Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest and some of the other staff members. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me, for the people, for all of Judah. Ask him about the words that are written in the scroll that have been found. The, or, the Lord's anger is burning against us and our ancestors who have not obeyed the words of this scroll. We have not been doing what the scroll says we must do. So Hilkiah, the priest, and his boys went down to the newer Mishnah section of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. Quote now, this is God speaking. I will destroy this city and its people just as stated in the scroll you read. For my people have abandoned me and worshipped pagan gods. And I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger is burning against this place and it will not be quenched. Man, this is not good news. The meter is still running on God's wrath. The clock is still proceeding straightforward. Next he says, but go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him. This is what the Lord God of Israel says concerning the message you have heard. You were sorry. You humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people and that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. So indeed, I have heard you, says the Lord. I will not send the promised disaster upon this city until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took the message back to the king. Oh, because of Josiah's broken heart, God hit the pause button 
on his wrath. Now we're in chapter 23. Then the king summoned all the leaders of Jerusalem and Judea. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all the priests and all the prophets and the people from the least to the greatest. There, the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, regulations, and laws with all his heart and soul. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Did you notice that he didn't order the people to get right with God? What did he do? He got right with God. He understood that he was the only one he could do anything about. So in front of the people, he repented, he turned, and he promised God with a tender and a broken heart. And what was the result? People saw it, their hearts were broken, and they said, we will do it too. We will follow the book of the covenant. Well, what happens next in the rest of this part of this chapter is an unbelievable destruction spree. Josiah goes, just goes crazy. You know, a fungus of evil had grown up through every bit of culture, religion, and society. And you don't get rid of a fungus one little bit at a time, do you? I'll tell you what, he got out the disinfectant and he went at the whole country. It says that he tore down the pagan temples, he destroyed all the idols, he killed all the male temple prostitutes, he destroyed all the altars inside of the Jewish temple and killed all of the priests who taught at them. And then he went throughout the country and destroyed all the, the altars of Molech. Molech was a religion so hideous. Jews had bought into this, that in order to placate Molech, you had to burn one of your children alive in order to sacrifice, in order to be, uh, to be right with Molech. Well, he went through and he destroyed every single one of these altars. He didn't just clean up Jerusalem. You know what he did? He cleaned up the whole picking country. You know why? Because he was a stinking king. He could do what he wanted. He had authority. He had influence, and he went after it. He went to every inch of the land of Judah, and he cleaned it. You know what he didn't do? He didn't, he didn't clean the countries around it. He couldn't. He had no authority over them, but everything that he could touch, he did, because he understood the only person that he could really do anything about is himself. The only thing that he could touch was the country in which he was uh, in authority over. So we pick up the story with when Josiah founds out it, from the covenant that the nation had not been doing a tradition uh, that the Jews had supposed to have been doing that had been lost years ahead or years be uh, before that. And you know what it was? It was the Passover. They didn't even know what it was. Nobody had ever even heard of it. But you'll notice as we pick up in 2 Kings 23, 21, on this one, he doesn't give the people any choice. He says this, King Josiah then issued an order to all the people, you must celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. There had not been a Passover celebration like it since the time when the judges ruled in Israel throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. This Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem during the 18th year of King Josiah's reign. Josiah also exterminated the mediums, the psychics, the household gods, and every other kind of idol worship, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience 
to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Listen to this. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and his soul and his strength. Obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. Boy, how would you like that said about you? How would you like that on your tombstone? Never been one like her before, never been one like her since. I'm telling you, what was it that so radically changed Josiah? Why does he stick out in his culture, and why do we still talk about him in history? You know what it was? He had a passion for this book. He became passionate about knowing and understanding this book. In fact, here's his formula. He read it. He obeyed it. He changed the world. You hear that? He read it. He obeyed it. And he changed the world. Turns out that the culture at that time is remarkably similar to ours. As I did some more reading, I found out that the United States parallels this quite a bit. Very wicked, yet very spiritual. A lot of worship, but very misguided. It's said that during that time that without a Bible as the standard, that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound similar to that USA Today story I just read? And um, the real power and knowledge of God's word had been lost. This is what bothers me. We have God's word, so why aren't we shaken by it? Why does this not rock us? What caused Josiah to respond? Why did he? Well, first, I think he had an innate desire to please God, to make a difference, to know God in some way. And the proof that I give you for that is that he started cleaning the temple before he even knew what the temple was for, who it was for. He, there was something in him that was compelled to want to know God. And then when he read the book, what was his reaction? The first thing he felt was what? Shame, followed quickly by terror because he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. In fact, it was displayed by the fact that he tore his clothes, didn't he? We don't understand the power of that symbol, but in, in ancient times, if you wanted to show absolute dejection and horror, you know what you did? You grabbed your clothes and you pulled them apart and it showed everybody the strongest sign at that time. And, and what he did next is what's really key. It says he inquired of the Lord and he asked him, what do I do? In fact, I'll just read you these verses. He said this, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah. Ask him about the words that were written in the scroll that you have found. The Lord's anger is burning against us because of our ancestors and we have not obeyed the words of the scroll. We have not been doing what the scroll says we must do. He realized they had drifted a long ways from God's righteous standard. And you know what? We too can drift quite a ways without even knowing it. Let me paint a local picture for you. I think culture is like a strong and constantly moving river that moves us away from God's righteousness towards evil. I think history pro proves this. And... Um, I was giving this some thought, and I, I remembered. Patty and I, in the evenings, we love to go um, after we've had dinner, or if, sometimes we'll take dinner down there, if the bugs will allow us, to the dock uh, in Old Bluffton. 
at the end of um, Calhoun Street, you know, next to the old um, Cross Episcopal Church there. It's a beautiful dock, and it's in a perfect spot where you can watch the sunset behind all the boats and everything there on the river. It's really beautiful. So one night we were down there, and it just so happened that nobody else was there except us. Uh, there's usually fishermen. Nobody was there, and it was high tide. I mean, all the way up. So when we walked out on the, on the dock, it looked like a beautiful, calm lake. It was just still. Nothing was moving. It was so beautiful. I remember looking down and being surprised by something that I saw. I noticed that the pilings that go down into the water, that there were bow waves stacked up against the pilings. My mind triggered and thought, that's weird. And then I looked out into the water and focused a little bit, and there was a piece of driftwood, and it was moving. It was moving with the river and the tide back out to sea. What looked like a calm, still lake was powerfully moving, and it made me think. What if Patty and I had gone down there, got a little wooden boat, and we, we cast off right off the, the dock. We just parked right there off the dock. We didn't tie up. We have our dinner. We eat our dinner. And then we talk, and maybe we read a book for a while, and then we happen to look up. Where would we be? Somewhere close to Hilton Head, <laughs> right? Heading towards the Atlantic Ocean. Because what we wouldn't have realized is there's a powerful flow underneath us. We're not aware of it. But man, it's there. In fact, I believe that at a certain point, because of the way the river winds, that we'd look up and we wouldn't even be able to see the dock anymore. And if you gave us long enough, we might even forget that there was a dock. So let me paint this picture. Let's say the dock is God's righteous standard. It's here. It's that line where we can draw on a compendium and say, this is where good is. This is where God wants us to live in his righteous standard and, and be secure in him. Okay, but the river runs that direction. So it flows this direction, and at a certain point, I think we'll all agree that if good is over there, what's over here? Evil. There is a line at some point that every person in here will say, yep, that's evil. Everything on that side, without, without doubt, that is bad. Okay, bad. Good, bad. All right, where, does, where do you think most of the American church resides on this compendium. Personal experience. I believe that most of the American church, if this is where the line of evil is, I believe there's somewhere about here. They all look over there and go, we're not bad like that. Oh my goodness, we're not that. But yet, look how far away it is from God's righteous standard. Now, I think you will come across some Christians who live over here, there's not a whole lot of them. And those folks, they don't think a lot of these people. They think they're kind of they're kooks, kind of extremists. But yet, look where the culture is taking us. And if you want to think about this for a second, for those of you who are old enough to remember watching primetime in the 60s, think of what was shown on TV between 7 and 9 o'clock in the 60s. Okay? Think about what's playing between 7 and 9 o'clock on prime time in America now. Can you see the flow? Can you see a flow of culture that has changed? I remember back in the 60s when Laugh-In came on. Do you, even, do you even remember that? A few of you have stumbled across it on, they'd practically play it on Nickelodeon now, but Laugh-In was at a line 
that my parents said, you will not watch that. It is rude. It is crude. It is full of sexual innuendo. It's not going to happen. Now look at Laugh-In. Oh my goodness. It's nothing compared to, and I won't even fill in, I won't even mention the shows here because guaranteed it'll be one that you like, and then I'll get, <laughs> then you'll be ticked at me. Okay? Do you see that culture? That it flows constantly? And so, what I wanted to say this morning is this. I believe that when we read the Bible, it touches our hearts and we determine to follow God. This is what happens. We turn and face the flow. And as we begin to obey the Bible, what are we doing? We're taking steps against the flow. I believe that you will be able to tell what a Christ follower looks like if they are going against the flow. If their lives are somehow feeling the pressure, the constant, tiring, exhausting pressure of culture, just baby step at a time, moving back towards God's righteous standard. That's what discipleship is. That's what a Christ follower looks like. So I was talking, you know, earlier, if, if Patty and I floated out eventually far enough, we could even forget there was a dock. But at some point, we might remember, how do we get back there? Well, God knew we would get lost, and so he gave us a map. Actually, it's a navigational chart. If you get in here, you turn, and you start to follow it, you know where it's going to take you back to? It's going to take you back to God's righteous standard. Word of warning, do not listen to other people's directions, no matter how good they sound. If they are their opinions, then they're going to be possibly one of those 310 million that have their own religion. Listen to this. Listen to this. Because people will sound good, they'll have good intentions, but they can be so wrong. So I was talking to a buddy about this, this whole idea of going against the flow, and he had a great addition to this that I want to throw in. He said, he said, you know what? When we turn and go against the flow, we should walk with our hands out looking for somebody who's floating by the other direction. And then do what? Reach them, grab them, introduce them to Jesus, turn them around, lock arms, and walk with them. See, that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be a group of people, arms locked, going against the flow with an arm out. You want to really change the world for eternity? Reach your hand out and lead one person to Christ and you change everything. Read the word, turn into the flow, and put your arms out. So where do we start? Well, I think it's baby steps. If you think you get from here to there quick, it doesn't work that way. But the process begins that way with baby steps. So here's the first step. Read God's word. Actually read it. Don't listen to somebody tell you what it says. Actually read it. Then let it break your heart. Let it give you a soft heart. And then turn and start taking baby steps. Go wherever they lead. Do what Josiah did. He read it, he obeyed it, and he changed the world. He saw how far Israel had drifted, and he realized they deserved destruction. In fact, this is what he said. He said, go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him this. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. 
you were sorry, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against this city and its people in this land, that they would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. So I have indeed heard your prayer, says the Lord. When you come to the Bible, do you come to it with a tender and a humble heart? Josiah's broken heart led him to action. He couldn't change the whole world, but he could change his own country. We can't change the whole world, but who can we change? Us. And we can have influence over the people that are closest to us. Most usually and most profoundly, our family and extended family. He, rem- he, he may have later on heard the words of another great uh, Jewish leader that had lived centuries before him, a guy by the name of Joshua. Remember, he had brought the people of Israel into the land, the promised land, but there was all this crud and all this paganism going on, and the people were getting sucked and pulled over towards it. Do you remember what, remember what Joshua said? He said, okay, guys, you, you decide today who you're going to choose. But as for me and my house, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. He understood the same thing. I can't change everybody else, but I'll tell you what, as for me and my family, we will, church, we will serve the Lord. Again, the reality is the only person you can do anything about this morning is you. I need to end with this disclaimer, though. You won't be popular. You won't be popular. You won't be understood. You'll be thought of as kooky, and I want to tell you that you'll get much of your flack from the Christian church that lives somewhere over in there. Because you know what? The people that are pagans over here, they get it. You're kooky. Okay? They understand you believe in right and wrong and make choices, right? They think you're, you're nuts anyway, but they get it. But it's, it's the Christians here who are floating with culture who won't understand oftentimes why you're going against the flow. And it will be lonely. It will be exhausting. This won't be easy. I remember uh, um, two summers ago, I got the privilege of experiencing uh, the sandbar, the Redneck Riviera. <laughs> they don't have anything like that in California, I'll tell you right now. It was great. There's, you know, you've been out there before. Have you seen it? There are, it, it happened to be there were probably 100 boats lined up or beached on the sandbar. And we stayed out there for hours, and then the tide came up, and it came in. But nobody's in a hurry because you can't get your boat out of there until the high, tide gets high enough to release you anyway. So it finally got to where the, the, the water completely covered the sandbar, and we said goodbye to our friends, and we turned to walk to our boat that was about 40 yards this way. Wow. The water was about to here. I had no idea. When that tide comes have you felt it before? When that tide comes in, it is not easy to walk. I want to tell you, when you turn and decide to go against the flow, it's not going to be easy. But Josiah all the struggles and everything he went through, he found out to be totally worth it in order to have a personal and a right relationship with his creator, God. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes, if you would, right now, just to get alone, just get by yourself, and I'm going to ask you a few diagnostic questions, a few diagnostic questions that will help you see where you're at on this compendium today, where you're at in the river. You just answer these to yourself. Here's the first one. How much different are you because you read the Bible? Does the Bible change your lifestyle? 
Does the Bible rock you to the core and produce a tender and a humble heart? Do you want to change the world? Would you just talk back to God right now? Would you tell him what he's, what you're hearing this morning? What's he saying to you? Do you want to start the process today of turning to God, turning back against that flow? Talk to him right now. Do you want to ask him that this morning he would give you the strength to turn fully into that flow and with his word and the power of his Holy Spirit to take those steps towards his righteousness and towards truth. Oh Lord, I pray for each one of us in here. We all deal with the same exact stuff. We all feel the pressure and the flow and the, we all get this, but Father, I just want to ask that you would make us a people that would be willing with your strength and your encouragement and your power to take every day steps towards you and that with our arms out, we would show other people how good you are and bring them along with us. Please, this week, I'd ask that you would supernaturally draw every person in this room right now into your word, that they would open it up and desperately read it like they maybe haven't for a long time. And maybe if they've already got a great thing going on in your word, that you would just, man, that you'd just shift it to even a better gear, a deeper gear, a more honest gear. You're the only one that can do this. Without your Holy Spirit teaching us what the words are in this book, it's just words. So we ask you to teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen. When you come to the word and you read it and decide to obey it, there's gonna be some action steps. And one of those is, is actually getting into God's word. If you would look in your worship folder at the bottom of where the notes to the message were, I've given you some action points. There's some things in there that would be next steps for you. I think a whole other serv- uh, sermon could be on scripture reading and how to do it. But the biggest thing that I can say is you gotta have a plan. If you don't have a plan for what you're reading and why, the Bible is really hard to pick up each day and just open up somewhere and start reading. Have you experienced that before? I have. It's really difficult to stay motivated. So I want to give you just quickly two plans that have rocked me. One is a, simply a Bible called the Daily Bible. You can find it on Amazon, anywhere else under the Daily Bible. It's Harvest House. The reason why this one is different is it tells the whole story of the Bible in chronological order. Everything happens at the events and the times in which they took place as one story. I love stories. How many of you love a good novel? Okay, I love a good story. This one goes from Adam to Armageddon, and man, it's cool. The story will make so much more sense because instead of, did you know that the Bible wasn't written in chronological order? Did you know it bounces all over the place? In this it will, it will let you fall in love with the story as one continuous timeline. And, and every day, there's a little icon of a sunrise. You start there, and you read until the next one. And then you stop. 
Some days you're going you're gonna to be so into the story, you're going to read several. Some days you won't even get through a whole one because it's not about finishing it in a year. That makes no difference at all. It's about staying with the story. I highly recommend this. If you do it, the next time I see you, you're gonna, you'll be talking to me about it because it will rock you. And then the other thing that I've really enjoyed is one of the coolest Bible apps, and there's a lot of great ones, and I wrote it in there. It's called Version. How many of you have it? Let me see your hands. You know what I'm talking about. It's amazing. Not only does it have Bible plans all written in it, you can get it on, on any electronic media, but as somebody pointed out to me this morning, you hit a button and it does it all out loud. You can listen to it while you're driving or walking. They'll, I mean, it's just amazing. version, one of many, whether it's a daily Bible or getting it on your computer, get into God's word. Let it rock you and change you. And what you're going to see is that God's going to call you to some action. And I'm going to ask Todd to come up and reveal some of that action that could be taken even right here. Thank you, Joe. You know, it's amazing um, to think about the nation of Israel. And they were, God used prophets, priests, and kings to influence the nation of Israel. In this case, it was a king. And a young king, 26 years old, 8 years old when he became king. And I wonder if Paul, when he was speaking to Timothy, don't look down on your youth. Don't let others look down on your youth. And I wonder if Paul had King Josiah in mind when he mentioned that. And so whether you're 15 or 50 or 80 in here, um, God can use us. God can use you. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are coaches. Some of you are in the real estate business. Some of you are grandparents and parents. and Some of you are students. God can use all of us wherever we are, just like he did Josiah, to change the world. And so I was impressed by the idea of read, obey, and change the world. And so, Joe, thank you so much for bringing what God laid on your heart to bring. I asked you at the beginning of today to fill out uh, the bottom part of the uh, notes that you have this morning with your name and email. And I want to give you a couple points of application in addition to reading God's Word, which, by the way, I use version almost exclusively in my own life. Absolutely love it, and it's free, too, by the way, which is the best part. That's just great. Um, a couple things that you can do to change the world, just like Josiah did. Um, as I mentioned last week, we want so much. We have a passion here at Hilton Head Island Community Church to um, start more and be involved with more life groups, more and more groups where people are studying God's Word, they're, they're uh, praying together, they're enjoying the Christian life together, because even though Josiah um, had to focus on what he had to focus on, he didn't do it by himself. None of us can do it by ourselves. We need the others around us to help. And so I want to encourage you, if you are interested in becoming a life group facilitator, we have training coming up um, two weeks from today on October 16th from 1215 to 130. And there's no obligation in this, but if God may be leading you or he's saying, you know, one way you can help change the world is by leading and facilitating a discussion, which is usually DVD driven in your home. Um, this was the first thing that I did as a young uh, guy right out of college, newly married um, in ministry life. And so if any of you are interested in facilitating a life group, come on to training. There's lunch. There's child care provided. And down at the bottom of that card where you turn this in later, just write LGF, life group facilitator. 
And then some of you need to get involved in a life group, and so we will have hopefully more life groups beginning here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And I want to encourage you to be a part of the Connect, which happens the very next week on October 23rd from 1215 to 1:15. Again, lunch and child care will be provided. And so if you could just write LG on the bottom of that card, we will be in touch with you, and we'll give you information on how uh, to, to get involved and where to be and all, all that sort of thing. Lastly, we have our clothing connection coming up on Saturday, the 22nd. And this is a way that you can change the world and help change others around you. Um, I was talking to someone this week, and they're involved in a lot of ministry outreach here on Hilton Head Island. Here where you live, in your neighborhoods, there are people who don't have enough food and clothes. And so you can be involved in helping others um, have some more clothes and to have, in some cases, clothes at all. And so we need several different teams of people as we kind of enter the last three-week stretch of getting ready for the clothing connection. Um, we, need, we need a get-out-the-word get uh, team and crew. And so if you want to be a part of that crew that will go around and post up flyers and hand out flyers and that sort of thing, and if you like to tell people about things, uh, we can use your gift. And so just write, write on your uh, form there, uh, get out the word. And then if you um, can come and show up here during the week and help sort clothes, we have bags and bags of clothes, and hopefully we'll have more bags. I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, Sometimes this all happens in the last couple weeks. Um, So if you can give us an hour uh, sometime in those last two weeks uh, by helping us sort, just write sorting down, okay? Not sporting, sorting, okay? So if you can write sorting down. And then the other two are the setup, uh, the setup crew. Uh, we need people to come in and on the week of, like that Wednesday and Thursday, change this room around, set it up. We'll have tables in here. Um, our building owner lets us use that area next door. And so we have this whole bottom floor basically that we use. We need help setting up. We need help that day. So if you want to be a part of setup or event, right, setup or event. And then finally, it takes about uh, oh an hour and a half to two hours to clean everything up. And we need a lot of hands to help clean up to get ready for Sunday morning. So if you're interested in helping us with that, uh, just write clean up. And we'll follow up with you this week about what to do to get involved. And lastly, we need more clothes. Uh, we are desperate for more clothes, and I know that some of you have clothes, but the thought occurred to me this week, maybe some of you don't have anything to put it in, and so we are going to be handing out these little things right here. These are called garbage bags, kitchen garbage bags. I think they're 13 gallons, and they're from Sam's Club, but we're going to be handing them out to you, and each of you will receive one of these. You know what we want you to do with it? Fill it up with clothes and bring it back next week because we need more clothes. And we will give away everything that you bring, uh, lightly used clothes, and we'll be helping others out. There are a lot of ways to, to change the world. There's a lot of ways that Pastor Joe mentioned that we can read and that we can obey. And I tell you what, you don't know how well this dovetails to next week, Pastor. So thank you so much for listening to the heart of God. We'll be talking a lot about these things in our series that starts next week called Big Faith. Let me pray, and then the worship team is going to sing. Father God, thank you for what you're doing in the life of Hilton Head Island Community Church and what you're doing in the life of Low Country Community Church. God, thank you for your servant, Joe, who preached today, who brought your word to us. It was a timely message, a much-needed message. And God, we're so thankful for his heart. God, I pray that you would help us to be people as we begin to walk against the current of culture that is so easily swaying even the church. God, I pray that we are strong people, that we're strong not on our own, but we're strong because of you.
And God, I pray that we are people who will be awakened to passionate things, that, we'll, that we will be excited about what you're doing in and through our lives. God, I pray that as we walk towards you, as we walk back to that dock, back to that place that you want us to be, I pray that we'll be looking around every step of the way and find those who we can take with us, that we can introduce to you and introduce to your way of life. God, help us to be like Josiah. Whether we're 15 or 50 or 80 years old, God, I pray that we are people who strive and are passionate about reading your word, taking it in, consuming it, but not stopping there, God, but that we're people that will obey your word, that will follow your lead, and God, that we won't stop there, but that we'll be people just like Josiah did that you will use to change the world. Awaken us from the inside out, God. Awaken us from in. May your Holy Spirit work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.